0: You won't go after her either. I thought you were different. I am different. Hey, hey! That's my tail!
1: What's he doing? Leaving. Not on one of our boats. You can give it to him, or he'll take it. Can't argue with that.
0: Welcome to the Mad Max Minute Presents Waterworld, H2O Minutes at a Time. I'm Rick.
1: And I'm Julia.
0: And today we're talking about Minutes 129 and 130. They begin with Gregor arguing with the Atoll survivors, and end with the Mariner climbing over the wreckage of the trimaran. Last week, the clip ended rather abruptly with Gregor calling out my friends, and we kick off this week with him saying, don't you see we need this child to find Dryland, and he's waving this scrap of paper around. He is all in on Enola equals Dryland.
1: Right. My question is, he has a copy of the tattoo. So why does he need Enola? I mean, I know he has an emotional attachment to her, and that's cool. But that's not the argument he's making.
0: Yeah. They don't need Enola. Yeah. Specifically.
1: All he needs
0: is that scrap of paper. For all of the years that Gregor and Helen have spent with Enola growing up, She has never offered them any explanation, and she will not offer any extra observations to be spoken of.
1: She holds no further clues.
0: (laughs) The tattoo is it. The only reason to go save Enola is because she is a human being and should not be subjected to whatever the smokers could come up with to do to her.
1: Right, and perhaps Gregor knows that there's no way that that is going to be a good enough reason to convince these people to go after her. So he's trying the dry land direction, and that's not working either.
0: You can try to reach out to people on a humanitarian level and be like, Hey, listen, this child is scared and alone, and she's been taken, and we need to do something to get her out of the clutches of evil people, and it didn't work. Yeah, We keep saying how terrible these atollers are.
1: Their terribleness is more palatable when they're in a larger group. Right. And they have resources that they need to maintain. Like right now, if nothing changes, if there's no huge plot diversion like we're going to have, these people are going to die. And their selfishness is just really apparent. Mm Mm-hmm. They're going to die anyways, so why not go save another human being?
0: Approaching it from a devil's advocate perspective, these people are afraid for their lives. They had their entire livelihood uprooted and destroyed by these smokers, and so Helen saying, let's go raid the smoker stronghold in order to save Enola, you could see why these atollers would be like, um, No. We're not going to those people that utterly decimated us last time. But as you very smartly observed, they have nothing to lose.
1: Yeah, they have nothing to lose. Let's do a quick thought experiment. If you were on this mini atoll, would you help or would you say no? Put yourself in their shoes of surviving the atoll attack, somehow finding each other, And beginning to form a community and being asked to go rescue a child.
0: What would you do? I would likely be skeptical of Helen because she seems to be going with the we need to save Enola and that's the pitch. She doesn't seem to have a plan about how she's going to save Enola. And that would definitely give me pause. Mm -hmm. I would want to know how. Would we save Enola from the Smokers? Right. That's where I would get hung up.
1: Yeah, I agree. I'm not right out of the gate opposed to the idea of going to save Enola, but it would depend on who else said yes and the plan. I really like the Enforcer, and he seems to have a very good head on his shoulders. I would kind of follow his lead. Mm. If he was going to go and he was part of the planning, I think I would be more likely to participate. But I agree. It's all about okay, well, how? Yeah. How is this going to happen?
0: It's one thing to unlash all of your boats and go headlong into danger, but maybe if she just explained, listen, we're going to track them down, do some recon, figure out how to get in there. I don't know. I'm,
1: Something. I'm probably
0: asking too much of the situation.
1: I really don't think that you are. It's a lot for Helen to ask for these people to just barrel in. Yeah. Without a plan. Helen is smart. Present some sort of a plan. Like, hey, guys, here's a couple ways that we could do this. We could sneak in and find her. We could pretend to be recruited, to be smokers, to find her. Like, hey, here's some ideas. Let's talk about this. Let's come up with a plan. She doesn't have to present a finished plan. Mm -hmm. But this is her child. She needs to push people in the right direction. And she's not. All she's doing is saying, hey, let's go get her.
0: I have to wonder how many people outside of Helen and the Mariner know that the Smokers have one large ship that they all congregate on. I'm not even willing to necessarily say that Helen and the Mariner are aware of the D's because when you've got the deacon on the trimaran before he burned it, he told the Nord looking at the tattoo, does this mean anything to you Nord? No, well, we'll figure it out back at the D's. And you've got Helen and the Mariner. They're standing close by, and they would have heard that. There's a chance they would have understood that the D's would mean a ship. But I imagine that most of the people who deal with the Smokers deal with the little patrols that go out hunting for resources and not necessarily the entirety of the D's bearing down on them.
1: That does bring up a big question about the general knowledge of the world. Do they know that the smokers have a central base, i.e. the D's? Mm-hmm. Do they think that the smokers have their own atoll that is relatively the same as other atolls which is just scrap together bits and pieces of boats? Do they think that they are solely a collection of vehicles? Like we have no indication of what the general public think the smokers are, do, how they exist.
0: It's all of these unknowns that would make it a very hard sell to go along with what Helen is talking about. Yeah, And very quickly in this clip, we see the Gatesman say very distinctly, I'm not going.
1: What I like about this statement is if you take this scene as we are doing, as just these two minutes, it feels very much like, well, I didn't ask you. It feels unprompted. Like, nobody asked him, hey, Gatesman, will you please come and help us? And he just volunteers this information. It's funny. Without any context of last week, the whole group together were talking about this. And this statement does make sense. But I like it more out of context.
0: Are you a little surprised that the Gateman survived?
1: Yes. Didn't we see him die? Nope. Okay. I feel like we did. I feel like we should have because he was a character who had a part in the plot prior to the Atoll attack, some of those people needed to die. Yeah. And I kind of feel like either the Enforcer or the Gatesman needed to die. It feels weird that they both survived.
0: I imagine that the injury that the Gatesman suffered at the hands of the Mariner moved him off of the gate on the morning of the execution and put him in a position where it was easier for him to slip away.
1: Do you mean that in a sleazy kind of way?
0: In a, I'm injured, I cannot fight, I need to escape sort of way.
1: Again, I'm going to ask in a legit way or a, oh no, I'm injured, I can't fight, I'm going to get in this boat and slip away. Like, do you think he was taking advantage of an injury or treating it common sense? Oh no, I
0: think he was treating it common sense because he got a giant shark tooth spear thing through the foot. In the town meeting, he had his foot up on the desk. There's no way that he could ambulate easily. So any chance that he could slip from whatever hospital situation he was in into an escape boat, it just seems prudent because if he tried to fight, he would just get in the way.
1: Okay. I don't know why I feel like it's a sleazy sort of well, way. It's I don't know where I'm coming from with that.
0: It's because he killed Swayze in Ghost.
1: That's true.
0: That's one like, of the There's no things. coming
1: back. From Killing Swayze.
0: Yeah, you hold grudges against actors.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Like, you can't stand Bradley Cooper because of what he did in that movie. He's just not that into you.
1: Yep, with Scarlett Johansson, and I struggle with Scarlett Johansson, too. hmm Even though I love her as Black Widow, like, when I'm watching Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow, I'm cool. But in, like, all of her other parts, I'm like, yeah, she's the one that cheated with Jennifer Connelly's husband, who was Bradley Cooper. Yes, I do. I do hold grudges against actors.
0: We saw that movie when we were dating, right? Maybe. I don't remember when it came out. I don't know. It's not that important in this context.
1: It really isn't.
0: But, yeah, I can see why you would think that the Gatesman is the sleazy take advantage type. Yeah. (laughs) There are a couple of other atollers that pipe up who say that they should just let Helen and Gregor go. We're better off without them. Helen leaves this situation behind in order to approach the Mariner. Now, everything after the Gatesman gets up and says, I'm not going, and we cut over to the Mariner, throwing things off of the little dinghy, as soon as we see Helen stand up, we're in extended cut territory. So we've gone out of theatrical, and this exchange is not something that people normally see, where she walks over and she says, you're not going after her either? And she says, I thought you were different.
1: I agree with the absence of this scene in the theatrical cut. It's a fine scene. It doesn't add anything. (laughs) It really doesn't. Their conversation, it just feels so typical of them. Mm -hmm. Helen is doing all the talking, asking questions he's not answering, and she's answering them for him.
0: Saying, I thought you were different. Him just saying, I am different.
1: Yeah, and he throws in maybe a couple of words at a time. That's a complete sentence, and that's, like, a lot for him.
0: In the context of the book, the situation where Helen is trying to convince everybody to go after Enola is physically apart from where the Mariner is hanging out, but they're, like, inside of a boat. And so when the Mariner is getting ready to leave, Helen stands at a window and points it out to everybody. You need not bother figuring out what to do about him, she said. He's leaving. How? Another toller man said. In one of our votes, demanded another. She shrugged. You can give him one, or he'll just take one. Your choice. The brawny figure of the Enforcer moved through the group like a parent among small children. He's earned that much, and he's free to leave. There were murmurings, but not very loud ones. The Enforcer's word was law here.
1: See? I like the Enforcer. I like the analogy of a father among children, because that's really... That's how, how they behave. I, yeah, that's how I feel about him. Like... I will follow his lead. I trust him. Mm-hmm. It's the beard.
0: Plus, he is burly.
1: Yeah, he he's, is. He's a
0: big guy. He's pretty awesome.
1: And he's calm.
0: Mm-hmm. So one of the atollers notices that the mariner is taking a sail. He's standing on this one dinghy, and there is a sail on an adjacent dinghy. And so he's taking the sail, and this one is like, hey, that's mine. The mariner drops the sail at his feet, and he turns toward this guy who's yelling this man comes up behind Helen and says, what's he doing? And Helen just says, leaving. And the Atoll man says, not in one of our boats. And we get a close-up on the Mariner's knife, his tiny little knife. Yep. And we tilt up to the Mariner staring at the Atoll man. And it's supposed to be such a intimidating thing. I know it's not about the size of the knife in the knife fight. It's how you use it. But it is kind of silly that he's trying to be all intimidating. And all he's got is this tiny little pocket knife.
1: I'm okay with the size of the knife. I just don't think that Kevin Costner pulls off intimidating. (laughs) And it has nothing to do with his physical size. Physical size doesn't have anything to do with intimidation. There's lots of other ways that people can hurt you other than physically overpowering you, i.e. a knife. Mm. And we know that the Mariner is skilled in using the knife. So I have no doubt that he can defend the things that he is stealing, but- I don't know. That moment where he like turns his wrist just enough to flash the knife, which I don't think is a purposeful movement on the Mariner's part, but it is a purposeful movement on Kevin Costner's part. Mm. It's supposed to look natural. I don't know. It's missing something. I am not intimidated by this. I do not see it.
0: I was thinking about this, and I was reminded that when you look in the animal kingdom, You get these creatures that can be very flashy, very flamboyant. I'm thinking of poison tree frogs and lionfish with all of these brightly patterned barbs and slick skin and stuff like that. Those creatures, nine times out of ten, are prey animals. And the bright fluorescent colorings are meant to show predators, you don't want to eat me because I am full of poison. Whereas the predator animals are usually camouflaged, subdued, not flashy at all. Right. So when you look at the mariner, he's got this tiny little knife. It's not flashy. It's not meant to visually intimidate. So you get the sense that he's not a prey animal. He's a predator.
1: Very much so.
0: So as this atoller drops the situation, he just... Forgets about it because Helen very distinctly says you can give it to him or he'll take it, just like in the book. And the Mariner continues to get ready to leave, and Helen says, "Anola said you were her friend, which is a lie, unless it happened off-screen."
1: Right. I was thinking about that, and I couldn't really remember when Anola said in their presence that they were friends.
0: I did a word search. Yeah. Of the subtitles in this movie, and before this point. Friend or some variation of it is mentioned five times. The first time is the Nord in episode 10 saying just being friendly. The next is the Mariner in episode 49 saying I've got this boat for a friend. The Deacon next says it in episode 61. Well, have you ever heard any of your friends talk about it? And Gregor says friend twice back in episode 64, so last week, where he says my friend, thank you. And then he begins the statement, My friends, don't you see we need this child to find dry land? That mm-hmm. one straddles episode 64 and 65. Right. But as far as Enola saying on screen that the mariner is her friend, yeah. Not yet. Not yet.
1: I know that that's a pivotal line somewhere down the road.
0: Yeah, because the mariner says it about Enola.
1: That's right. Enola hasn't even said it like when she was being interrogated by the deacon. She doesn't say it then, does she? Because she does say, he'll come for me. She knows this. Mm -hmm. And it's implied that he will come for me because he is my friend. But she doesn't say that. She just says, he'll come for me.
0: I have to wonder, is Helen saying this to the Mariner now the reason why he will later on say that Enola is his friend? Because he's under the impression that Enola has said that. And so him saying it in the future is going to be him... Saying it back.
1: Yeah. It's funny that you indicate that Helen is lying because the mariner follows up this statement. Helen asks, What do I tell her when I see her again? And the mariner says, Lies if it makes you feel better. And according to your current theory, she already lied because it made her feel better. <laughs> <laughs>
0: She's trying to pull at those heartstrings just like she was doing with the other a-tolders and it's right. not working.
1: And he does not have heartstrings, which is Gregor's point. Mm-hmm. Gregor says don't blame him. Survival is all he knows. Gregor, Gregor sees the Mariner very interestingly. He doesn't see him necessarily as an equal. He definitely recognizes that the Mariner is not human.
0: His otherness.
1: Yeah, but he doesn't look down on him for it. And he is also able to see the Mariner for what his life must have been like. In this statement, his survival is all he knows. Hmm. He understands that the Mariner's life has been captivity and running and not trusting people his whole life. Gregor understands that just at a glance. Whereas even Helen, who has spent time with him, I still don't think she really, like, gets it.
0: Well, that's why... She needs to be constantly reminded that you can't change a man just because you want to.
1: I'm impressed with Gregor's insight into the Mariner.
0: Mm. The book has a bit more dialogue between Helen and the Mariner before he leaves. Mm -hmm. In the context of the book, he's preparing his boat to leave, thinking to himself all of the different things he's got on his to-do list to outfit this boat that he's taking. And technically, in the book... He has paid for all of these things with the pages that he gave to Gregor.
1: I would have appreciated a moment of that exchange.
0: Us seeing Gregor with the pages was meant to show us that he handed them over. Yeah. But there wasn't the indication that it was a full-on trade. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I was talking about the book. She was standing beside him. Her face was long. They're not going after her. What did you expect? She sighed, shook her head. You have to understand they're afraid. They're only human. I wouldn't know about that. Sorry. He shrugged, kept at his work. I don't understand people, human or otherwise, who wouldn't go after their own kind. Her hand settled on his shoulder, fingers gentle as flower petals. Will you go after her? No. Her hand fell away. Dusk was blending into night. There were no street lamps in New Oasis. Perhaps the old inventor could build them a new windmill for the smokers to come and burn down. You say you don't understand people who won't go after their own kind, she said. Not accusingly, really. But then you say you won't go either? She's not my kind. His words made her wince. I thought you and Enola, you thought what? From her expression, you'd have thought he'd slapped her. I need six G's of hydro, he told her. They can have my pages. You'll get it, she said businesslike. I'll see to it. There's still some decent people here.
1: That does cut deeper into the fabric that Helen thought they had woven. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that that's what the movie was going for, with the Mariner saying, tell lies if it makes you feel better, and then just leaving. Yeah. I think they were trying to cut deep. And again, it just kind of missed the mark a little bit. And the novelization, that's way better.
0: Yeah. I really appreciate what Max Allen Collins did to give a little bit more weight and take it from a situation where Helen is trying to reach out to the Mariner, and he not only shuts her down... But then he goes very businesslike with her, essentially repeating the order that he had back at the beginning of the movie where he wanted six G's of hydro when he was trading on the original Atoll. And so as he's getting ready to leave this new Atoll, he's asking once again for six G's of hydro.
1: Oh, that's very interesting that he is resuming a purely business relationship with... the Atoll, and with Helen.
0: It's almost like he's resetting their relationship because that's one of the first things he said to her, and now he is bringing them all the way back to that first interaction. Maybe not on purpose, maybe it was just a coincidence, but I like to look at it that way.
1: I think perhaps it's simply a symbolism in writing, and that's cool too.
0: Mm. As the Mariner paddles himself away, Gregor says, that's why... Talking about survival with the Mariner. Someday there will be so many like him, probably so few of us. Something that would probably happen a lot quicker if the Mariner was more free with his physical affections. If every time he was offered a young woman <laughs> as he left an atoll, if he took that opportunity. Yep. It would be a hard one. Fought though, because you've got Atollers who as soon as they see a mutation, their first instinct is to kill. So any baby born with a mutation or growing up with a mutation would face that danger.
1: Yeah, just like he did. Mm -hmm. Reminds me of a book that I just started reading. I'm really only a few pages into it, so I don't have a lot of information on the plot. It's Wild Seed by Octavia Butler. This is my first Octavia Butler book, And I know already I'm going to read a whole bunch of her books because her writing is excellent. Anywho, Wild Seed, the title refers to Seed as in people. So there's this godlike being. He's not God, but he's godlike being called Doro. And he goes around the world looking for individuals with special abilities. And he gathers them up. Someone like the Mariner. Mm -hmm. He would gather up the Mariner. And he breeds them, basically. He gathers them up into seed villages, and he instructs them to only breed with each other. He cultivates individuals with incredible abilities. Huh. The beginning of the book is he meets someone. I'm going to butcher her name, because it's not as simple as Doro. It's An-Yan-Wu. She is one of these individuals, but she is way more special than anybody else he's ever met. So she is, I think, the wild seed. Gotcha. Gotcha. In that world, Doro would scoop up the Mariner in a heartbeat, and he would find other people like him and breed them so that there would be more of them in the world.
0: Mm, Very cool. Yeah. As the Mariner disappears into the darkness, we fade to a shot of the moon and then fade again to Daybreak, where the Mariner has navigated his small boat all the way back to the wreckage of the Trimoran. It's easy to think... With all of his years on the water, and navigating by the stars, and just having a good sense of direction in general, I like that he is able to find his boat again, because there is still salvage to be had.
1: Especially now that he doesn't have Helen around, because some of his possessions were secret, were just for him. Mm -hmm. So I think he had not touched those things, because Helen was around. I don't think he had a plan to get rid of her, so that he could retrieve those things but now that she's gone
0: he's a free agent again
1: yeah he's back in his comfort zone of just purely being able to do what he needs to do
0: living that bachelor lifestyle yeah the clip cuts off before we go into the wreckage so come back next week when the mariner will take stock of what he has left he will have a sudden realization and meanwhile the atoll survivors will be harassed by a pair of smokers The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham.
1: Waterworld was written by Peter Rader and David Tui, directed by Kevin Reynolds, and presented by Universal Pictures.
0: Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Diaz Ire by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com.
1: Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com.
0: You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute.
1: And like us on Facebook by searching MadMaxMinute and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone.
0: If you'd like to support the podcast, visit Patreon.com slash MadMaxMin.
1: Thank you for joining us for Waterworld episode 65. We'll see you next time.